0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Centurion Running Podcast. My name is James Elson. I'm the regular host on here. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to bring you three guests um, to follow on from the discussion that led off the back of the last two uh, post-race debrief episodes. And the roundtable discussion today is all about female participation in our sport, ultra running, but obviously running more broadly as well. The three women who are joining me today are key stakeholders and athletes themselves. They're all mothers. They've all experienced the good and the bad of our sport um, and all bring a kind of a different perspective to the table for, for this open discussion. I think we cover a lot of topics in a relatively short period of time. It would have been amazing to get into more depth on many of them. And obviously there are things we didn't cover at all, but... This is just the start of the conversation and uh, much in the same way as with the Black Trail Runner group and the the conversation kicking off in in May 2020, uh, we really want to just continue this and and put the platform out there and more than anything, share some really useful information, resources and debate with our female audience. But guys, there is plenty to be learned here for us too. In in many ways, it's down to the guys really to make this sea change um, and help Help the equality the in the sport continue to go in the right direction. So I'm joined today by Sophie Power, founder of She Races, and who shot to prominence after an image of her breastfeeding at Courmayeur on the UTMB during the race uh, went viral. But she has a, a huge. Uh, role to play, I think, in the in the progress we're making, and uh, is very much at the forefront of this uh, renewed kind of invigoration. This conversation, Sarah Cameron, who's one of our coaches at Centurion Running, she's also been an athlete uh, for many years and ha- has featured the sharp end of races, having won our South Downs Way Hundred and and earned a GB vest at the 24 hour format. And Nikki Griffin, who's very much my right hand uh, person here at Centurion Running, she. Uh, is a runner herself who's completed Lakeland 50 many times and um, brings the perspective of an organizer to the equation. So the reason I give this preface is that we jump straight into the conversation and whilst we do have some intros a few minutes in, uh, the informal nature of the conversation I th- I'm a big fan of in podcasts and we try to keep it as as transparent as possible there there is no editing this is the conversation as it happened um last just over an hour and um we're very much looking forward to hearing the feedback that we get from the community on this one so without further ado uh here's the conversation and we hope you enjoy it No, sophie you've been on a load of podcasts of late anyway and you've got plenty to be getting on with
1: like, like, like preparing for some hundred mile race on saturday they haven't thought about yet. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, how are you about Saturday? If I spent enough as much time training as I have by like, working on she races, I might be running faster on Saturday.
0: <laughs> What's the goal? Um,
1: I don't actually have that long to finish it because I've got to get back because Hubby has got a sportive. He needs to leave at five AM for. So if I want any sleep, I've got to go sub twenty. Um, if I basically oh. go over twenty two, I'm um I'm running it quick so I've got to get like yeah I've got I can't go over 20 no. <laughs> so 20.
0: Nice bit of additional pressure I like it.
1: That's the only um, way I I, I did some spine, of spine to within an hour of the time I need to get a train back to pick the kids up from nursery so.
0: We
2: had someone finish the North Downs 100 if you remember James he finished uh, and his taxi came in as he was over the, coming over the finish line he timed it like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I
1: have done that on the fifty before for a bus back for bedtime. It's, it's the only way I actually will run. I don't really care about finishing times and things, I, I do care about getting back to my kids.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Well we're looking forward to welcoming you to the race on Saturday. When was the last time you ran with us?
1: Um I generally run with you after I've had babies. Um I did North fifty <laughs>
3: last
1: year. So I look at my finishing times. So I look well slow. I'm like, Oh no, I was six months postpartum. So um that's probably why. Um, yeah, um, I think. And then it was pre the other ones. I think my first race was TP100 in 2012 with you guys, which is ages ago. That was our first
0: Thames Path 100. Wow. I know. And the weather and came got... in at the end. Were you done before wow. it started snowing?
1: Yeah, I did. I think I did 23. Very good. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, it, I was hypothermic at the end. Oh, um, right. And, did you end um, up in the
0: ice rink warming up?
1: No, what was that? No, I, I, oh,
0: I, we I had
3: got...
0: To, lo- we had what to happened? put everyone in the ice rink in the end because we had just a marquee in a field and the ice rink took everyone in and warmed them up in the cafe. But you oh, were probably done old. before it got horrendous. Yeah.
1: I think it got horrendous like 26 or something. It was, yeah, it was bad right. when I finished and then I saw driving back, I was like, glad I'm not out in this.
0: Oh God, it just <laughs> turned, didn't it? Like the Saturday had been nice and then it started sleeting. Um oh that was the ice strength
3: warm-up.
0: That is a huge um we owe you big time for that because you've seen it at its very Genesis like the shambles at the in the early days. But anyway, yeah, thanks. That was uh that was an epic weekend. Nearly put me off. Um anyway. So I think informal's a good way for this. Like I don't think we need to do some like huge preamble um, but it would be great if everyone could introduce themselves so that everyone listening can sort of tell who's who so should we start with you Sophie given that we've sort of heard a bit about you already but could could you just give us a quick um hello and just tell us a, a briefly about she races as, as well if that's okay
1: sure so i'm I'm Sophie power I have been running with Centurion I can say now for ten years. Um, and ultras for not much longer. Um, I'm a mum three and I am really passionate about getting women on the start line of ultras. Um, ever since the photo of me running UTMB, breastfeeding my three-month-old, um, went to, out to quite a lot of people around the world. Um, so I recently set up a campaign, She Races, which is really focused on kind of getting more women of all kind of shapes sizes colors background to the start line making sure women have a great experience on the race um, and that our competition is held in equal regard to the men's. so it's a set of guidelines essentially for race directors just to make sure that you know we're we're catering equally for women as for men at races which sadly a lot of races don't do at the moment
0: brilliant uh, obviously much more to follow on on those subjects um sarah hi
3: Hello James, um, I'm Sarah and I'm a running coach with Centurion and uh, I'm pretty passionate about getting more women involved in the ultra running scene in general and uh, of all the female athletes I coach I like to dig deep into all the issues that can affect female athletes so um, there's nothing that I, I won't talk about um, we'll dig deep into their menstrual cycles because it's really important so I'm hoping that I might be able to help people today just by suggesting practical ways that they might be able to enter a race if they feel that they might that there might be barriers um, because of that. So I think that might be what I can bring to the table today.
0: Sarah's selling herself a bit short there. She is a Centurion coach, but she's also a phenomenal athlete and um, has walked away with a couple of trophies, or at least one at South Downsway 100. Did you win North Downsway 100 too?
3: Came second in North Downsway, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And, so, was my um, son,
3: so I was quite
0: pleased with it. Yeah, and it's known for always smiling from start to finish, come what may. Just the happiest yeah. person out on course. Um, <laughs> Nikki, hi.
2: Hi. Yeah, I'm I'm Nikki. I obviously work with in Four Centurion. I take care of the um advent administration behind the scenes and various things on race day. um I. I'm coming to this from the angle of someone who came to running quite late in life. It was my 40th birthday present to myself to not turn 40, feeling 40. Um, and I, you know, when I think back to when my son was I have a 30-year-old, and when I think back to when he was younger, what barriers would there have been to me as a runner, you know, if i if I'd been a runner then wanting to come into the sport? And so that's kind of what I'm hoping I can bring to this. Um, just those thoughts around that. Um, yeah, that's me.
0: Uh, and my name's James Elson. Uh, I'm a man, so I don't really have a voice so much in this conversation, and I'm really keen that um, Nikki, Sarah, and Sophie uh, do the majority of the speaking. What I'm here to do really is answer some things from a race organisation perspective um, and just obviously try and ensure we, uh, we keep to some sort of structure, which is the total opposite of what we do on the British Ultra Running Podcast, which is just a rambling mess. So we will try to get through like a we've got a little topic list here so i might if that's all right with you guys just sort of pose the subject and ask the question and then let you three just run with the discussion if that's all right um but a logical place to start i suppose is just with the facts and we had a similar thing with black trail runners where when they set up uh it was it was important to get some data together, right? Because there's a perception that people of colour aren't really competing in trail and ultra events. But until we actually collect the ethnicity data, which we hadn't been until relatively recently, as a sport I'm talking about, um, we didn't actually know. Um, So now we're starting to actually see the data come in and and black trail runners are acting on that. But with female participation, we've, we've always had the data. We've always collected it in the obvious way that entrance either into the women's or the men's race, quite an important distinction that, that they are two separate races, even though there's one start at a lot of these events. But Sophie, could you speak to women's participation numbers in general? Do you have much, obviously I've got our Centurion data, but do you have much data on what women's participation numbers actually are and and how they they feature against men's as a percentage of, uh, you know, maybe cross distances? How does it change with distances?
1: So we're still running the numbers on some of it and it's quite hard to get some of the data, but we're looking at some of the the shorter, I mean, running in general, women are now pretty much as likely to run as men. I think some of the surveys have even had kind of more um, women um, kind of as recreational runners as as men, certainly after COVID. Um, As we get into ultra running, so you've got the fights on the 5Ks, you actually can see some equal participation there. As we get into ultra running, I think the last survey kind of run as well was less than 20%, like 16% of of runners and female. And as you go up the distances, that's where you see kind of the drop-off and the more extreme races. The UTMB start line last year, I think was less than 8% women on that start line. So as you go up the distance, kind of women tend to drop off. And that's where it's, it's kind of interesting to see why that is and how much is societal and how much is the races themselves.
0: Do you think there's a perception that the women the participation numbers are higher or lower than that because I find that eight percent shocking. I would have said it was more um and you know in what is essentially the world championship event, although it be self proclaimed that that is a staggering like endorsement of where we're at, I suppose
1: i think I think it's been higher in other years, but I don't think I've seen numbers kind of above kind of twelve fourteen percent for what is. The world championship running i mean obviously i lost my place in 2014 because they wouldn't defer for pregnancy um they're still they haven't deferred pregnancy kind of for, for the years before so there's an awful lot behind that and where women aren't there but there's an awful lot we can do to to get women on the start line and the question is you've got some of the races that are low percentage on start line um trying to get more women in by by changing the ballot lakeland 50 lakeland 100 trying to actively get more women on there because you, you can't be it if you can't see it and you see more women on the start line, more women are going to get to that start line.
0: Yeah, completely. I just looked at our stats this morning and what I tried to do was pull what I would say, are, well, what I know are our highest percentage female participation events against the lowest and actually the North Downs way 50 and then 100 show the most dramatic um, kind of differential in the 50 this year, just gone, we had 24% female participation and 24% finish, actually. And in the 100 last year, uh, we were at, hold on one sec, it's dreadful, um, 14% and 11% finish. So huge, hugely sort of backing what you're just saying there with the longer the race, to lower the participation number and that that's echoed across all of our events. One thing I'm really interested in is how, you know, our first 50 K next year reflects, um, back on the, on the gender breakdown, but with she races, you've, you've essentially scripted out for organizers what they should be looking at. And, um, could you speak to that? And how did you come up with that sort of list for, for organizers to start working off of?
1: So it's been, I mean, I've, I've been campaigning for pregnancy deferrals ever since I wasn't allowed to defer my place at UTMB. So I spent, this is almost kind of four years ago now, and I spent that time doing it. And I realized talking to more and more women that it's not just about pregnancy. It's about so much more. So I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of women and then talking to a lot of race directors um, who kind of wanted to get in on the conversation. and dividing it into the three buckets of what can we do to get more women on that start line. And we're we're not relying on race directors to change society, but having some more inclusive imagery there, having more detail on logistics, you have kind of where people are put off, kind of 44% are put off by kind of cutoff, 20% on imagery, talking about how making it seem um achievable. Whereas sometimes the language in ultras can be this is the tough as you're basically going to almost die on course. Talks to men, women get put up by that. So yeah. getting more women on the start line yeah. is the first. Then getting the great experience when we're there. So kind of two thirds of women have had insufficient toilet provision. Um, it's not an equal experience if we're given a male fit T-shirt, um, for example. So making sure that we're catered for on course. Things like safety. Um, buddying up at night for example trackers in the longer ultras and then it's it's holding our competition in equal regard and so many times we kind of see pictures of all men and we hear about the men's race we don't hear about the women's race Um, we can't even see the female podium when we look at the results because it's all they, they report the open so you're scrolling down to try and work out kind of who the the top women are and as a woman I want to hear about the women's race kind of probably more than the men's race
3: of course. So it's really yeah.
1: simple things that that a lot of race directors I've gone to they're like I can't believe I haven't thought about this and thought about things like sanitary kind of um uh, sanitary pads and, and tampons and things that we should be providing and making sure that there are toilets on course and that women have periods and they need to be able to manage those and it's been brilliant talking to so many race directors who've gone I didn't think about this and I'm going to make these changes um. And then being able now to kind of start bringing races on board and having, highlighting the brilliant races out there so that a woman wants to run a race. And this is not just ultras. I think only we had a survey of kind of 1600 responses and only a third of ultra runners, um, highlighting all the races out there. So a woman goes, I want to do a race. Where am I going to get treated well? Where am I going to have a great experience? They can see where to go.
0: I think it's fantastic. Can you, Sarah Nikki? Can you speak as runners? Like, what some of the barriers to the races that you've done over the years that have popped up and sort of made you think, "Hmm, this isn't very clear," or "I need more information," and you know they they should be providing this but they aren't.
2: I think I think for me it's um it's not necessarily a tangible thing. It's more of an imposter syndrome for me. You know, the races is build as is the toughest, the hardest, the longest. I think okay, well. I'm not ready for that. I can't do that. And I think women in general, we do tend to undersell ourselves. You know, a woman will go for a job she's qualified for. The average guy will go for a job that he's not quite qualified for because, but he's yeah. got that confidence. I think women, we just generally don't have. And I'm not trying to put us all into one big bucket, but for me, it was it was always the imposter syndrome and and the training. You know, the the time for training I think is not there for the the ultras as it is for the 5K and the 10K and the and the, even the 50Ks. And I think that. Is something, especially when I first started running, was trying to figure out how to fit running in with a, a full-time job and a full-time social life kind of thing. How can I also fit this running in? And and that may also, I, I can't say as, as a mother, because obviously my son was was he was in his twenties when I started running. Well, I hadn't quite turned 20, but anyway, showing my age now. Um, but I'm sure for for mothers that might also be a factor as well. You know, it's easier to be able to find childcare to go and run and do your training for a 10K or a marathon. As opposed to your training, you would need for a hundred miler. So I, I don't. I think that it's not always the on the race specifics that would have been a barrier for me. I think some of it was the pre race thing, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: totally.
3: Yeah, it was the same for me Nikki as well because um, I I didn't struggle with any of the physical barriers that women noticed on the Facebook thread that I think we'll probably talk about later, such as the lack of toilets. But none of that ever bothered me, but I, it was also the imposter syndrome for me too. And uh, that happens at every level, no matter what level of runner you are, even Olympians have it. And uh, I think the difference between women and men, because of course men also have it too, but as men progress, their feelings of self-doubt usually abate, I, because their ability becomes solidified over time. So uh, I think they actually become more and more confident, whereas women women don't. And uh, I think we we need to help women to channel our self-doubt into... It's more positive motivation, really. And uh, just by talking about it, it can help. And uh, finding out that other people feel the same, again, no matter what level they are, and it, it, you're not a fraud, and nobody's going to find out that you are a fraud and that you shouldn't actually be there. Um, there, there are there are ways that I think we can, uh, we can help people who do feel like that. And there's a really nice quote by um, you know Jack Daniels, the American running coach. He says, sometimes a bad run is a fluke. But if you do run a great race, it's because you're capable of doing it. I think that's something that we should all bear in mind.
0: OK, so could help me understand if if we want to talk to more women as organisers and make them feel that there's there should be less of an imposter syndrome. Uh, obviously, we kind of want to do the reverse with the guys, get them to calm down and actually self-reflect a bit more in the opposite direction on the whole. But how do we speak to female runners and and encourage them to take part without underselling the fact that these races are obviously difficult in the in the traditional sense of being a very long way and often, uh, you know, incorporating lots of hills or mountains or whatever environmental conditions there are. What can we actually be saying other than taking out the cringe-worthy, toughest, hardest, et cetera, et cetera, language? I don't think. Sorry, Sorry. go ahead.
1: On the on the imagery, I think one thing is is making sure women see people that look like them in the in the website. I think often the the race organizers, the, the, the shot on the website, I've looked at a lot of racing websites now, is the start line, which all the fast men have barged their way to the front sure. and it's just a shot of lean, fast men. Whereas yeah. if we look at our ultra community, that's actually a minority. Yeah. And you know, we have people of all shapes and sizes, um, doing the races, succeeding in the races. I mean, the the cutoffs are set. So you, in a lot of races that you can walk them at a fast pace and that's never highlighted. Um, I got loads of trouble when I went on TV after UTMB and and said I basically walked it um, because all these all these men are like, well, you can't say that. I said, well, it's a hike. <laughs> I mean, you're going up and down 11,000 metres. It's a hike. I couldn't really run. I just had a baby. Um, but I got around comfortably hiking. So I think making it really accessible showing the diversity of people doing it and and i think looking at the logistics around it i think in the survey kind of almost half women said they'd be more likely to do a race if they were certain about the logistics so how do you get there what happens at the checkpoint really laying it out kind of how it works how the cutoffs work what speed you have to do when you when you do the math for someone if you walk fast you will get there and, and there are you the kind of intro ultra events kind of my first ultra was um, X Energy um, and Neil's team. And they let kind of, if you keep them walking, they're going to let you finish no matter what time of night it is, which is amazing. So I think kind of showing people they can do it, showing stories, not just of the fastest runners, but hearing about people who've done their first ultra and how they've trained for it. And we always hear the people doing the 70, mile weeks. Well, I've never done that. Um, I'd be lucky if I do a 40, but then I hike with a baby on my back for 20 miles a week around the school run. It's making it more accessible to a woman's life, who's, especially a mother, on their feet all the time. It's not just about going out and running fast and running lots. Ultras are really achievable um, for most people who can, can run a 10K or a half marathon.
0: I think that's brilliant. Thank you. I think the, the imagery thing, and this, this reflects back on the Black Trail Runners conversation as well, is just how how on earth are we gonna make these events seem like they're not just for middle-aged white dudes mm-hmm. um without actually communicating the fact and yeah it does take some almost over delivery to try and redress the balance somewhat um you know and and making a conscious effort to do that is is the next step I think for for a lot of organizers for sure. Um yeah, it's interesting you say about the the results being jumbled up as well and, and how you get one list of results and actually picking the women out, which is a completely separate race. We had this discussion, didn't we, Nikki, the other day yeah. about how if it's on the track, they're literally separate events. It's just no question. You don't ever compare the female times to the male. It's irrelevant. But you end up doing it in, the, in, in these ultras where there's a mass start because they're all the two races are jumbled together. How do you guys feel about the, the, the language of um, overall position? You know, I often uh, sort of go away from that and try to always just say, say a woman finishes on the podium overall, you know, third person over the line, but they win the women's race. We always say first woman, not third overall. How how do you feel about that kind of language and the, the, the blurring of those races?
2: I noticed something this weekend because Sam Mend she won the um, Grand Union Canal race.
0: Great example. yeah.
2: I saw some posts on social media, and to be fair to be clear, these weren't by the organizers of GUcr. these were just some general members of the public comments and and it was it was quite interesting that it was like she won the race overall. Why not just say she won the race? Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, she she won her race, she won the race. And then when they were talking about her, the person that came in second, it was like, they weren't saying what is normally said about women it's normally you know oh, well she was first she was first female and seventh overall the, the language was different when they were talking about the guy that came in in second place and I just thought that was quite interesting this was just members of the public it wasn't race directors or anything like that so I think I think I don't think it's just race organizers that need to look at their language and look at how they change things I think it is us as general runners we need to also be making sure we're not fulfilling that prophecy of, of using the wrong language and i'm probably not wording right what i'm trying to say but um yay sam for winning by the way
0: <laughs> yeah and this is what yeah, so you on, said. Is you it. said as a societal thing right there's some there's yeah. some stuff we can affect here and some stuff we can't sarah you know having been in that position yourself how how have you reflected back on that situation
3: yeah, I, I think it's a difficult one because I think we sort of, in a way, do need to quantify the fact that if a woman won the race outright, I think it is quite nice to point that out as well because it shows that over ultra distances, women can be competitive with the men, which I think is also a nice thing for us to be aware of. Um, but you know it doesn't happen over short distances but the further we go you know women can really hold their own so it's nice to recognize that and it's nice to point out oh the women won overall and i don't know what the answer is about the language um so it wouldn't offend me in the slightest if somebody said that i would just be thrilled <laughs> to have won it out right so um again it's just different perceptions from different people i, I wouldn't mind it being either hailed as the outright winner of the race or the ladies winner either would be absolutely fantastic. So, again, it's um, it's a tricky one and it's, it's hard. I, I wouldn't like to offend anybody, but, again, it seems such a positive thing to me. And uh, I think it does need to be pointed out because men are generally faster and they generally win races more often than women. So, yeah, don't know what the answer is there.
0: It's interesting. Yeah, I think there's also discrepancy in... in in opinion on this which is why I ask I'm trying to learn essentially what whether what we do is correct or needs adapting and I think as long as we're all coming into this with open eyes and the ability to adapt that's the key thing changing the subject slightly but moving on to probably the core area that sort of raised your profile Sophie and, and obviously reflecting back on that photo that was shared was it taken at Cormier I think that yeah, where you yeah were? yeah um you're all mothers you've, you know, you've had to run through, I mean, obviously, Nikki, you've said that you weren't um, a new mother when you started running, but nevertheless, have got experiences to reflect on here. What, what, what advice and help is there that either you can give or uh, resources that you can point women to around training through pregnancy, childbirth, and then out of the other side? Um, And then I'll ask about what race directors can do to help in in
1: these this situations uh, in a minute. Um, I guess, so, so when I, so my kids are 18 months, four and seven. Um, and when I had my seven-year-old and I had my UTM-based and lost it, there wasn't really anything out there. Um, and every, everything in pregnancy was like, oh, you're pregnant, right? Sit down on the couch, eat a load of cake, eat for two, <laughs> don't exercise. And I was like, we're well, not doing that. I'll go, I mean, I'll be divorced by the end of the pregnancy. <laughs> I'll go mental. Um, and so I I wasn't on social media and I I didn't listen to much, I just listened to my body. Um, and that's generally kind of there's some contraindications that your doctor will tell you about if you you really can't exercise, but generally that's the the answer. And um there's great resources at the Active Pregnancy Foundation um putting things out there saying it's it's actually healthy to exercise in pregnancy, it's good for mum, it's good for baby, um, and and they give great and then after returning, um, there's a returning to running guidelines out there with the government. So um, you can Google them, um, written by kind of M. Brockwell and Gonya Donnelly and Tom Goom, and they're, they're brilliant to get back. And I think the main thing to, to, to say is that every single pregnancy is different. Every, every recovery is different. I've had three complete different pregnancies. Um, I just got really early. The first one I ran the day I gave birth with my last baby and three complete different recoveries um, from not being able to take a single running step for three months because of pelvic floor problems, um, to kind of being able to get, me on the UTMB start line three months later. So, um, there's a huge amount out there. They're great communities. Um, I get loads and loads and loads of questions on my Instagram from, um, people that are pregnant, um, and wondering about ultra running. So I'm always happy to, um, answer anything that anyone has. See, I find that really fascinating, Sophie, because I do remember, even though
2: it's, you know, been 30 years since I had my son, I remember sitting in a doctor's office. I was living in America at the time. And I remember being distinctly told the only exercise I could do was walking. I was not to fast walk, hike or run. And I even though I wasn't a runner at the time, I've always remembered that because I could shake the baby out of me. And, and you know, that's only 30 <laughs> years ago. Isn't it shocking, though? <laughs> so that's, only, that's only 30 years ago. Oh, my
0: God. Right.
1: So but I think it's it's when we're, we're generally talking to a certain kind of woman on this podcast. Yeah. And you probably run ultras and the, the the challenge, having the challenges and doing things during pregnancy. So I I was locked down pregnant. So I did the Everest challenge. So I hiked up Everest on my treadmill in three days and I did the get a random T-shirt half Ironman at, I think, 37 weeks in a really gentle way, like with a heart rate strap on. And those are the things that kept me going and really kind of made me a, a much calmer, happier person that I could still feel part of the community and still do things and know that I was getting ready to to be as strong as I could for what is the biggest ultra there is, which is giving birth. Absolutely.
0: Sarah, what, what experiences do you have in, in this area and, and advice? I mean, as a coach as well, I know Sophie, Sophie, you're also a coach, but you know what coaching advice do you generally provide beyond the course that, that every pregnancy is different and you need you need ultimately to seek professional advice if if there's any doubts
3: yeah well again i um i always try to encourage my female athletes to do what feels right for them and i think sophie's an amazing role model for being somebody who's just done so much and that she she never got out of shape she uh, she was motivated to carry on training right the way through. But I like to point out to them that it's okay not to as well if they don't want to. And uh, there's actually no rush to get back and to become superwoman three months after you've uh, given birth either. You know, if it's okay to sit on the sofa and spend time with your new baby as well. So I, first of all, that's what I point out to them. But I find that most people are motivated to keep healthy, keep moving, to set a good example to their kids. And also just because... You know we need that bit of mental headspace when we've got young children so exercise is really important uh for that too and so i find the most the thing that i have to talk to my athletes most about is the feeling of guilt and that i have to kind of help them feel less guilty about going out and leaving their kids with uh, a member of the family or you know just so they can get their exercise in so it's it's really important that they understand that that, that time is for them and it makes them a better mother a better parent in general so yeah, what, do what's right for you. Don't look at what everybody else is doing. You go back to running at your own pace, in your own time, whenever it feels right for you. But when you're ready, it's fantastic, and it will help. It will help you be a better mum. It will help you be a happier person. So that's the way I approach it. But as for my personal experience, I didn't start running until after I had my kids. So I, I didn't actually run before I was pregnant or through my pregnancy. Although I certainly need you now. Although I think I might have missed the boat. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, OK, so just just to sort of finish this subject off, Sophie, one of the um, biggest issues we, we've seen in recent years as an awareness has, has increased on this subject is um, deferral transfer refund policies for pregnancy and postpartum. What are you seeing out there uh, amongst organisers? You know, do many offer Um, you know, specific refund deferral policies for pregnancy postpartum? Or is that one of the biggest issues still out there? We're not actually supporting women going through pregnancy as a sport.
1: So I think after UTMB, I had a load of race organisers contact me from all over the world saying, I can't believe we haven't thought about this. We just didn't think because we're men and we don't have babies. And so a lot went straight in place. I think Western states might have been very soon after um yep. for example and I know Centurion I don't know if you were there before or after you won the earliest I've, I've, I saw um and that's really important I think there's kind of getting kind of the refund or when you're ready when you're ready might not be one year because um we all recover at a different rate and if you just found out you're pregnant well you can't then be expected to be on a start line kind of with a with a three-month-old baby um that's that makes some people can but most women can't be so mm-hmm. we're seeing kind of more people being um open to it I I would say it's really important to really be explicit on the website because women don't ask if it's not explicit that it's allowed so we've seen kind of and it's kind of promoted and it's like we do this um men will ask and be like oh can I can have a race it's all sold out can I have a race space. um women just won't ask so I'm seeing kind of more and more people being aware of it there are still lots of races that I have to contact on the behalf of women. There's one now that a woman just contacted me that she's expect, they think she's okay to run at 3000 metres for over 400 kilometres while she's six months pregnant. And they think that's safe. Um, and she's like, well, I'd like my money back or I'd like to defer my place, but they're saying no. So I think it's, it's, it, it is, a, they say it's kind of a, a small number of people. When I, when I took on the London marathon last year to get them to defer good for places, they're like, oh, it can't be more than one or two people. And then so many women came up. And it's not just about pregnancy. It's about how that kind of is a, as an indicator to women that we are equally valued as, as men in the race. So I'm not going to have any more babies. Um, I'm really done with three. But if I see a race has a pregnancy deferral policy, I know that in so many other areas of the race, they're going to take our needs, our distinct needs into account. And that's a race that I want to do. And I want more women on the start line. Um, and people won't um, apply for races. Just, if you're thinking about getting pregnant, you do not press the button and get pregnant. No matter what the, the UTMB says, it's not a decision that you can time. And so kind of not knowing um, about when you're going to do it may mean you don't apply for that race. So having the confidence that you're going to get your money back or you can have that deferral, especially in a ballot, which is an opportunity. And and for a lot of us, it's that opportunity that has the most value, more than the money, because things like UTMB are so hard to get into. Um, having it there, we feel valued and having our place when we're ready to recover on that start line is often what keeps us going through pregnancy and keeps us kind of having that motivation to get back into fitness. Um, and that's why it's so important. It's not just about kind of getting our money back because we're we're pregnant. I like what you just said there
2: about how um you know even if you're not planning to get pregnant or have any more children or you know whatever the circumstance may be that looking at a race company and seeing what policies they have even if they don't apply to you and your situation tells you a lot about them as a race company and that's that's quite interesting I think that's something I might adopt going forward because I clearly have no plans to have any more children but yeah, that's I haven't actually thought about it from that angle. Looking at what a race company does in other areas shows you kind of more about them as a moral and ethical angle that they have.
0: I agree. I think the biggest uh, awakening for me was um you actually the message you sent this morning, so if you're saying it, you know, in a resources area on the website, it'd be really good if you just laid out all the things you do. Um I'm really desperate for this not to be some sort of advert for centurion, and certainly this is not a marketing exercise. <laughs> I just think we need to be having these conversations as often as possible um, to improve um, everyone's understanding of the situation. Um, but, you know, actually saying explicitly, these are the things that might be barriers for you that we work to overcome uh, and the things that potentially make you feel more confident the organiser cares and is actually going to provision specifically for, you know, the issues that women face that men simply don't is is so important because we feel we do everything that you've outlined but we don't actually explicitly say that we do everything you've outlined anywhere it's sort of all hidden and jumbled up in the text or not said so it's it's just this communication it's actually just saying "Here, here here's the information right and I think I doubt there's an organizer in the world who's getting this completely right at the moment um certainly I've not seen one also we've spoken about this Nikki but most of the organisers in ultra-running are, you know, it's majority men, and that's obviously an impactor here too. Do you find, I, Sophie, that some sorry, of the female organisers out there are doing things that, that the, the male-led ones aren't? Are you, are you finding that, or is it not so obvious? Is that sort of hidden?
1: So I, I, I don't think it's, it's a, it's a female-male thing. I mean, the, the race director of the UTMB is, is, is a woman, so um, it's not having a female race director solves all the problems. I, I do find the ones that are certainly the race directors that have children that have kind of uh, partners who run um really understand it and um some of the ones i've been working kind of there. he's been i know he's working with you guys now and he's been fantastic and actually behind some of the the guidelines and made comments on them um and they've started in your point kind of putting on the website they've got that on their website now and you read some of it and it's the log on how races have come to think about things and just having these kind of she races guidelines of just making them go through every three and you can't be prescriptive because every single race is different so saying we want safety trackers or buddying up in a 5k doesn't really make sense um but having race organizers really think through them talk get feedback from women who've done the races that's the important thing and then putting them out there um knowing that a lot of women are put off by not understanding the logistics and and what happens. Having those explicit on the website um, really makes a difference to women and, and men might not see how that might make a difference to them, but for us, that does make a difference.
0: I think this is the biggest thing. Let's examine what we're doing, uh, each each area. And there's a, for, for organisers listening in or, or for runners interested in what organisers should be doing, there's a, literally a list of these things on on she races and goes to the races area and it allows you to sort of check there's a system of checks right sophie that everyone should be doing as an organizer and runners should feel some confidence about with regards to second female specific issue that comes up a lot menopause again similar to the pregnancy discussion what information is there out there for women trying to train and race through the menopause and and how to race with and um you know what what how events should cater more for for needs for women going through the menopause
2: i am i'm currently enjoying this phase of life right now it's um it's a very interesting thing to be sure um i'm quite lucky i'm i'm, I'm coached by sarah so i'm i'm quite lucky in that she's incredibly understanding of um just the different roller coaster that i'm currently on with it but with regards to races i have not seen a single race out there and i you know feel free to correct me if i'm wrong because clearly i don't know all of the races that even addresses that we might have issues <laughs> um, and what those no, position- issues? it's really yeah. hard to
3: find the information um i would definitely encourage everybody who's going through it and um, have a look at stacy sims website she's uh, an american doctor and uh, she just dedicates her her life basically to helping women out uh, with women's issues in running and she's got some really good blog posts about Perimenopause, menopause, and uh, she mentions a few things that um they're quite pertinent to ultra running, really. For example, if you have uh, night sweats, then you're quite likely to be dehydrated. So you might wake up in the morning already walking in water and you might not have replaced your salts. If you go out for a run or you want to do a race, well, you know, you're dehydrated from the start. So there's things like that that we don't actually think about that we probably should and should be made aware of. And carbohydrates as well because um, a lot of women who are entering peri or menopause are told that they need to eat more protein. watch your protein, watch your protein because your body must well your body composition changes. and so you lose a bit of muscle, you gain a bit of fat. And so women are told that they need to up their protein uh, so that they don't lose as much muscle. And yeah, I mean it's something to be aware of, but then that means that women who are already possibly putting on a bit of weight from the menopause, Uh, They think, well, I'll have to cut out carbohydrates then. If I've got to eat more um, protein, then something's got to give, so the carbs go. But actually, when we go into perimenopause, our bodies are less good at burning fat. We become less metabolically flexible. And so our bodies look straight to burning glycogen even more than they did beforehand. So we actually need to eat more carbohydrates when we're going through peri than before when we're exercising. And I wonder if that's got to do with if that has an effect with all our tripping and our clumsiness as well. I wonder if people don't actually eat enough carbohydrates because our brain runs on glycogen too. So maybe th- this is something to do with the clumsiness and the tripping that um, women are reporting as a possible barrier to entering oh, ultra well. races. I went off on that's... one a bit there. Sorry. No, it's great. <laughs> so it's fair to say my coach
2: clearly knows a lot about menopause and how to help me. <laughs> Going I just to want to say penalty. that
0: if, if it's okay, we'll gather these resources, book names, websites, and we'll put them all in the show notes on the website. Mm-hmm. um I'll, I'll drop you guys an email afterwards just to make sure we get the right resources together. Sarah, sorry, you were going to say something else there.
3: Um, I was just going to say again iron, if you're having heavy bleeding, which happens again during prairie or like even more frequent periods, which is a bit of a surprise, I mean, you think they're going to peter out. But no, they might get more regular. <laughs> and so, yeah, and they can become heavier as well. So, yeah, female runners going through that need to watch their iron levels too. But, uh, yeah, again, I could get on <laughs> a rabbit hole with this, so I shall just uh, <laughs> let you get back on with it, James. But that's what? also one of the things that, you know, it, it, it could be a
2: barrier. Because, obviously, I don't think race companies can really address some of the societal stuff. We, we certainly can't address the societal stuff. And, and we, we can't now become the education source on every single thing but what you've just said about you know about the about the periods during menopause they massively take you by surprise and so having and it goes right back to the you know that simple thing of having a, you know an emergency sanitary products at the aid stations it's not that we're suddenly saying you know we should be catering for every woman um because you know all women have periods it's not that because let's face it we've all managed through our life since we started having our periods to try and be as self-sufficient as we can because we know we need to carry these but we don't carry these products every single day with us if we're not expecting a period in the middle of a cycle we're not going to carry these things and if we're certainly not expecting them during menopause we're not going to carry these things and so i think you know it's not just removing the barriers for the you know the the you know the, the generation that's Still got their youth. I don't even know how I'm supposed to try and word that. But it's also thinking of you know those of us that are at that stage. And let's face it, ultra running is more of a middle-aged sport anyway. So it's likely to be us that are going to have those surprise times of the month or surprise periods, as it were. So sorry, I just went full cycle back to the beginning on that. I just got quite excited there for a minute.
0: (laughs) Sorry. Well, I think it is. I think it is exciting because the conversation is being had, and certainly in all of the body of work we've done, training and racing through the menopause hasn't featured. And you're absolutely right, Nikki. you know, we know our average demographic, the average age of competitors in our races is 45. Yeah. I mean, we, we, this this is our audience and we're not really addressing it. So how do we provide education and resources for runners to be better equipped to enjoy their running more through what can be an extremely long period in their life? Um uh, Sarah Sophie as coaches do you use the Fitter woman app or any sort of um structuring around menstrual cycles for athletes
1: so I'm not a coach I just give out loads oh, of advice based on what's happened Sophie um, you seem like so a no, coach
0: I, I can see that the next phase for you here is if you haven't got enough on uh, already
1: no <laughs> I'm coached by Eddie Fern and I, I could not do a better job than she does with me coping with me um no I, I I'm very clear that I'm not qualified in any of this but qualify from experience which i guess is when there are so few people who kind of are open about what's happened and yeah i made a documentary about returning to running after having a baby and those kind of things aren't out there so like to share but i use i use women, so i now know that i'm gonna have to run South Downs 100 on my period great fun and i'm now looking at all the aid stations and the toilet and planning around that so kind of my my period didn't return for kind of over a year after i had my baby because i'm still breastfeeding um so i use that and i'm very conscious of where i am in the cycle now and how i'm going to feel and maybe when i need a bit more kind of as Sarah spoke to kind of carbohydrate kind of um when i'm going to need to eat a bit more when i'm going to need to be eat a bit different so i'm using it i know a lot more women are now using it because we're all different and we all actually don't feel the same at different points in our cycle but if we look over cycle, we start looking at where we feel better to do our weight training, where we feel better to kind of hit our PB at Parkrun, for example. Um, that's really there. So there's so much more information out there, which is brilliant. And finally, it feels that there's been some research done that's actually kind of got women in it and women kind of at different points in their cycle, not the point in our cycle where we're most like men, which is kind of the start. So it's really exciting. There's so much out there. And Definitely encourage people. Stacey Sims, I will kind of second how brilliant kind of her beckers um, on the female athlete. And I feel that the older I get, the more I'm learning about my body and the more I'm able to to perform better because I I understand my body better.
3: So similar to Sophie, all my female athletes have got a column on their training plan to write their menstrual cycle on if they so wish. And I encourage them to do that because you do have to train differently at at times of the month. Um, But I think even if you're going through Perry, then it's worth using an app to track your cycle because you might feel that there aren't any patterns to it at all, and sometimes maybe there aren't. But then it can take you by surprise, and it, because I use just the health app on my phone um, to log mine, and I can think, oh well, it was 40 days last month, and then it was like 21 days. But the app does sometimes actually predict when I'm going to have my next one, and it's pretty accurate, and it's it's it actually found a pattern where I wasn't able to find a pattern myself. And I think if you're quite diligent about logging the other symptoms that you might have throughout the month as well, you can actually make more sense of it than you might actually think that you could, (laughs) if if that doesn't make sense. And I think all this information is just helpful, isn't it? If you can't find any patterns, it it doesn't matter, at least you've got the information there and uh, preparation is key for this. And like Sophie's already pointed out that she knows when she's gonna get her next period for the Southlands, but unfortunately, but there are actually things that you can do to to switch things around if you want to as well. I mean, ever since the contraceptive pill was invented, women have used that to change when they're having their periods. Like If they're getting married, if they're going on holiday, if they're going to the Olympics, women have always gone and spoken to their GP about it. And it is possible. There are things that can be done if you really don't want to have your period at a certain time. So, I, it's, of course, it's not for everybody. But. Going to see a GP, it can help with other issues as well that we're just reluctant to talk about. But seeing, we're mentioning them all here today, but stress incontinence is another thing that we haven't quite mentioned yet. But that can be brought on with peri or postpartum. Again, it's it's common, but it's not normal. So that's something else you can go and speak to a GP about. And you don't actually have to suffer with it. There are exercises you can do. There are things that can help with that. And, um, and also, if you just have heavy periods that you don't want to use the contraceptive pill, then there are actually things you can do to reduce the bleeding there as well so that they're a bit lighter and a bit more manageable while you're doing a race or, or even just a training run. And I'd also encourage uh, my athletes, if um, they're just having normal periods, to go out and actually purposefully do a long run while they've got their period, just to learn a bit more about how their body deals with it and how often they have to change their protection what they, can actually, what they can actually do, how long they can go without having to change their protection. And while we're on that subject too, I've found that the best thing, I think, for most female athletes is to use a menstrual cup um, because that actually contains, well, it can hold twice the volume of blood that a tampon or a sanitary pad can. So you need to change it less often. Plus, you don't actually need a toilet to do it. You can just literally just empty it and then reinsert it. And uh, baby wipe or a bit handsome, and off you go again. So I, that's the, definitely the, the solution that most female athletes find to be uh, the most practical. It's not for everybody, but um, if you can get your head around it, a menstrual cup packs with the addition of like some period pants as well. Um,
0: jobs are good. Em. Are there any brands uh, producing these kind of things specifically for running, Sarah, that you're aware of? Or are these these just not things that, that any any sort of running specific brands are, are building?
3: I don't know about the actual menstrual cup itself, um, but there's certainly this period um, clothing that you can buy now. Adidas are doing special, not just period pants, but actual shorts, that running shorts that have got that little bit of extra protection. And there's a brand called Modibody Body as well. And they, they've been making period punts for years, but they've just gone into sportswear as well. So I've got a feeling they might be doing a legging. So it's just like giving women that sort of extra bit of confidence, I suppose, to know that they're not going to get any leaks.
1: On on the stress incontinence, kind of um, kind of I, I I've got a minor prolapse after my third baby, which I was found out on camera recording that documentary, which is lovely.
3: Wow. Um
1: but I've got a cube. So kind of running with a cube um, rather than the ones that kind of GPs often give you a ring. Um, anyone that struggles kind of look towards that and there's some brilliant kind of people fitting them. Um, they often recommend a cube for runners um, just for very long runs now, which I'm lucky down to just using that rather than every day to day. But there are so there's so much that can be done um, now. And I think that's the 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 message to, to women that any issues that are stopping you kind of achieving your goals um And if it's going to be holding you back, there are people to talk to. And that's uh, my inbox is generally full of people saying, I've seen your, your flat lay and there's this white thing. And is that what I think it is? And and how do I go and get one? So, um, yeah, I've I've named it Poppy and it goes in my flat lay and I'm weirdly in this very strange position where I now talk openly about things because if I don't, how are women going to find out that this is completely normal and in most cases really solvable. So um It's a bit weird, but um, yeah, I don't really care anymore. <laughs> My
0: nothing. fear, only Sophie, is just how busy you must be. Your inbox must be mental, isn't it? it, it
1: is. It's, 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 it's good, but it's. I mean, this is where I'm kind of taking on. She races is just with three small children is is a bit bonkers, but I just see how many people it helps and kind of the story I get through. Sometimes it's kind of heartbreaking what's happened, and if I can point one woman in the right direction to get her back to fitness to get her back feeling more whole about herself then that's an incredible privilege to have the platform to do that I think what you just said Sophie about um
2: feeling you know talking about it now I I shared a post a personal post on my Facebook page some time back about a medical thing that I've been going through that actually has been traced back to childbirth I had quite a traumatic childbirth um and it, it did some damage um to my insides and it I didn't recognize that the issues I was having through the years with with some incontinence was actually connected to that. I just thought, Okay, this I've got to live with this. I've got to live with this. And to be clear, this this was fecal incontinence. This was incredibly embarrassing and didn't want to talk about it to anybody. Thought, oh my God, this is awful. I'll just deal with this. And when I get to three miles in a run, I have to go dive behind a bush. And I kept thinking, oh, well, it's run trots and all, this different, all these different things that you hear about. Um, and then it got to the point where I, I couldn't leave the house. It was getting really, really bad. And it affected me in so many different ways. And it wasn't till talking to a doctor who finally understood and they did all the tests and, and 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 traced it back to this really traumatic childbirth that I had. That it actually took 25 to 30 years for it to reach this crescendo of being controlling my life to that point where I wasn't running. So because you know you, you're running at night, you're running when no one can see you if you have an accident, and you're running in the countryside because you don't want to have an accident on a brightly lit up city street. And it just everything about my life and until I started talking about that, and I had people come back to me and say, "Oh my God, yeah, no, that happens to me as well." And it really made me realize we as women have got to stop allowing society to make us think that these things are taboo because these subjects should not be taboo these are controlling way you know if you and I are talking about it there's about 50 people who aren't talking about it and sorry I just got really excited again sorry
1: <laughs> that's that, 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 that's that's so much of it like when I when I started talking about kind of prolapse and, and pelvic floors the amount of my friends that said I just got checked out and I've got one too and I think kind of it's 85% of women who have more than two babies actually have a prolapse, Um, but no one gets checked out and no one finds out. And then we don't talk about it and share with our friends. And now because I'm open in public, then I people come up to me and and talk about it with quite strange, like complete strangers, but um, it's great because we can then be honest and then we can get the research out there and the funding out there and we can get things fixed. And I realize we're a long way from like talking about ultra running events, but um, it all fits in together as to getting more women, more active, more women on start line and, and getting us kind of achieving these amazing ultra goals, which then feed back into our lives um, and give us more confidence in, in everything else we do.
0: Couldn't agree more. I think I think these conversations are so important and um, we just need to keep having them. Right. I I, I struggled a bit recently because. It felt like it feels cyclical, this conversation to me. We we had it eight, nine, ten years ago. It seemed to sort of gain a bit of momentum. And then several times since I felt this is purely anecdotal, but it's sort of a surge of um, like effort and, and energy into the conversation. And then it sort of just plateaus again. Um, I think it just needs to be consistently elevated to, you know, along along with the the message from Black Trail Runners about um inclusivity these things just need to be continually talked about and i just think there's probably so many women who are kind of uh, will hopefully treat the conversation you guys are having as a breath of fresh air like it's okay to talk about this stuff and uh, make people particularly organizers aware of the situation can i i don't want to sort of just wrap it up with some open-ended question but um can you just speak as athletes each of you but also as your role so nikki is an organizer sarah as a coach and and sophie given your new platform with kind of she races how do you feel as women in the sport at the moment um do you feel like you're not represented as women or the conversation still just way south of where it should be you, you know is the community welcoming like as as a whole um what's your perception of, of where the sport is at and just looking at ultra running specifically uh, 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 as our audience are probably coming from that background
1: I and mean, for me I, I find it really exciting in one way because i think we are getting m- more women into ultra showing it's possible certainly it can be in intra ultras um some of the conversations i have with race directors are amazing um some of them aren't so amazing um, so there's still kind of ones that are there, but I feel that hopefully, certainly with she races, we can get to a tipping point where it's in the same way, it's no longer acceptable to have plastic cups, uh, races. It should no longer be acceptable to have unisex t-shirts or even not a non t-shirt option because kind of, I love trees, not tees, and I don't need any more t-shirts. Um, but I think we're getting to that. I think the one thing missing in a lot of this is there's a lot the race directors can do, but in the survey. I had kind of about 600 comments on what the most negative experience of women is. And most of them were actually about the male behavior of other athletes on the races. So we're asking race directors to change everything. And kind of one thing that we really still need to see is the other athletes in the races and the race director setting the tone for the race in the same way on the website, they're kind of of putting in how they're meeting all the kind of, I don't want to call it "she races" criteria because if anyone has any improvements to them or any ideas, please let me know. I am not the oracle on any of this. I've just taken lots of feedback, so I'd love to know. But kind of male behavior, kind of barging past um, unwanted comments, kind of um, kind of on our pace, whether it's kind of fast or slow, or what we look like, or not letting us past in races. Um, those kind of comments and that behavior. Is actually really difficult. So we need to solve the race director side, which I think hopefully she races goes a long way towards, but we also need to make our, our fellow male athletes. And I'm also quite um, aware that by this point, the podcast talking about periods and prolapses, there <laughs> might not be many men left. However, the ones that are, because hopefully they have daughters and they should know about this. These are kind of things that males, oh, and using our toilets. Um, So I was in the last ultra I was in, and I'm in the toilets, and I'm putting leave down my kind of shorts to make sure I don't chafe. And there's a guy walked in because there was a shorter queue for the for the women. So um, this a very <laughs> random, about it, but um, <laughs> and I just didn't know, not, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I've got my, I'm I'm not in a cubicle because there's just I'm I'm in a safe space, like that's our safe space to kind of leave up and everything. Um, but I think that, that that I think also needs to change. So. There's a lot that needs to change, but I do feel we're making really positive steps, and the feedback I've had about she races has just been amazing. And there's so many race directors who want to get involved, and I, I hope that kind of within kind of a year, it's going to be the rare race that doesn't really actively want to treat women and give women the same experience as they give men, and they're going to be the anomalies, and they can go and have their male-dominated kind of macho races. Um, and the rest of us can can race together and and have a great time doing so.
3: Well, I think it's just quite an exciting time, actually, because you know, just even being able to have this conversation today, I think it's uh, it's really exciting. and to to show other women that it's uh, it's okay to talk about these kind of issues. And please do talk about it, talk about it to each other, talk about it to your coach, talk about it on the Facebook group anything goes you know I think um, there's no need to be embarrassed about any of these issues and it should all be brought to the fore I think it's exciting because times are definitely changing I've seen so much progress in the last 10 years um, from the UTMB having equal podiums I mean that that wasn't the case even just a few years ago but they've changed that I've seen local races here and um, they've gone from having less prize money for women to now having a parity for men and women. You know, it, it, it's it's an exciting time and uh, I, I'm pleased to be able to see all these things happening. And on another positive note, I've only had good experiences um, running with men in races. I find they've all been really respectful, encouraging and um, lovely. I don't know if it's a cultural thing because I do most of my races in France, but um, I I, I find them all a pleasure to, to run with and to be around. I haven't seen any of these issues. So uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe it is a cultural thing. Maybe it's just because are changing, but all positive for me.
2: I, th- I think for me, I, I, what you just said, Sophie, is really quite similar to what I was going to su- suggest. Is if there's any men still listening, um, we as women, we can't change the, this by ourselves. You know, because we'll end up looking like a militant group that are just banging a drum and, and everyone's going to stop listening. That This is only going to change and improve if the men come along with us, um, you know, and, and help us change this. And, and you're quite right. It's about the language. I, I heard a, a situation recently that I heard of that I thought was quite shocking. I don't think the guy would have ever meant it to come across the way that he did. But there was a woman out running and this guy joined her because he was the same pace, it was a lovely day, enjoying company, that kind of thing. And he just started running alongside, and he ran alongside her for about an hour. And I just don't know if men sometimes realise that that the behaviour they have, we are a bit intimidated by, you know, as women. And for me, that would have been quite, and I'm not intimidated by many things, but if I'm out running in a rural area, and some guy just starts running next to me, it could have all the best intentions in the world. So, and i'm I'm touching away from the the whole um you know the, the the periods and the menopause issue here because i'm thinking of the other barriers while we've got a few minutes left i'm thinking of the other barriers and and one of those is i've had people say oh well you know is it safe to run by myself is it safe to run at night can i come do your race can i come do your race because you know i might be by myself on on this stretch to this stretch which is you know notoriously not a nice area and yeah I'm I'm not succinctly saying what I'm trying to say here but it's it's it's, men can only help us change this and a lot of that is about their their language they use and their behaviors they have and recognizing taking a step back and thinking just because they're not intimidated or scared by it it's not for them to decide how a woman feels
0: yeah I think that you that blurs from our sport into the societal stuff and back again right Nikki you know we have this A hotspot for us is Reading on a Thames Path 100, right? Why do we only allow paces at the 100s from halfway? Because it's a safety consideration. It's not deemed to be giving any kind of athletic advantage, although it might help. It's all about safety. We're trying to ensure safety. Um, The same with buddying up. And and some of the men want this too. Some of the men are uncomfortable in that situation. But you're right. I don't think guys can generally empathise with... Uh, women's perspective on the trail at night you know it's just a it's a different conversation in most instances um is there anything that any of you feel we haven't obviously we've basically tried to ca- canvass everything in an hour but is there anything glaringly obvious that we haven't discussed that um there are any resources or conversations being had out there that you think are worth pointing towards i was
3: just going to bring up um choosing the right race as well People um, are intimidated by the thought of entering an ultra. There are definitely um, ones that are easier to get your head around than others. For example, if you wanted to go and do um, a six hour times event on a loop, that's going to be a lot more accessible than it is if you want to go and do um, 100 miles point to point. And there are lots of races like that around as well. We said it wasn't going to be an another centurion, so there we go. We haven't got one of those yet. <laughs> um. So if and if it's a timed format race, the advantage of it is that everyone finishes at the same time, so you don't have to worry about being the last one out there. You don't, you're not holding everybody up. People aren't ho- leaving the course open for you to finish. Everybody finishes after six hours. Or 12 hours or 24 hours so uh yes don't have to worry about making cutoffs or anything like that you've got an aid station on every loop it's just really nice way you to dip your toe in so if women are a bit nervous about entering an ultra i would definitely recommend doing a timed format on a loop or if you want to talk about centurion races specifically perhaps the 100 hills next year because it's on two loops and so it's two loops of 25k that might be more accessible to women than thinking oh, I've got to go and do like 50k in one great big go. And um, also, if she wants to dip your to night running, maybe runs Woods because uh, you know again it's on a loop course. It's just going to be full of runners. It's just going to be loads of fun. And uh, it, I think it's a safe way to just dip your toe and have a go, see how you feel about night running, and maybe it's um, not quite as intimidating as you as you thought. I think I think
1: one thing I say is 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 us and i definitely echoed like the the loop format i think is is brilliant because you can just stop and it it is everything's there and you can get to everything you want and you never know what kit you're going to need and thinking 50 miles ahead for your drop bag um i'd say just speaking out and giving feedback i don't think we can expect kind of race directors um to know what we need um and the, the the times i pointed things out and said do you realize what your imagery looks like um Do you realize that you haven't set the results up? Do you realize that you haven't been offering these T-shirts? And they're just like, I didn't think about it. So I just say kind of women and men, because men see this too. And there's lots of men, the ones still listening, probably kind of have daughters um, or are just brilliant blokes. You should give like a a secret like signal to know that they've got to this point in the podcast that they can like (laughs) kind of represent themselves (laughs) as being like uber nice bloke. But really speaking out and saying, I see this. Can we change it, if women? If you're not sure about a race and you're like, I don't know whether this is going to allow this, ask the race director. Ask people who've done the race. Don't just sit there and go, I don't know. Ask. Them. There's so many women ultra runners out there on social media. You can find women. The results. I've I've looked at races I wasn't sure about and looked at the last year's results and and found a few people to send messages to. So I think kind of taking it onto ourselves to help improve, actively improve the situation by speaking out. Um, we can, I, I always think that there's only so many races I can write to and represent others on behalf of, we can all write ourselves. And if we do that on mass, that's when we're going to get changed because kind of in our, in our survey, kind of 90% of women are more likely to enter a race that commits to being actively inclusive for women. Race directors need to have profitable races. This isn't just about kind of being inclusive for women. This is, this is for them about business. So we help them make a better business. And, and everyone benefits
0: it's so true yeah i mean at a time when entries are down to the kind of lowest ebb ever and so many races are struggling to attract runners uh, and you've got a female participation rate of 15 percent of the total audience get, guess where the the major increase the easy win on increases are you know by communicating to more women and, and increasing that um the equal participation just on, on the survey that Sophie keeps uh, referring to, it's it's the first time I've seen anyway so much kind of um, data being asked for and collected and going to be used in the right way. So we'll link that in the show notes. Please do fill that survey out and, um, you know, helping inform the, the decisions and the pathways and the information that Sophie will then, you know, give back to us. So, um, thank you all so much for your time this morning. Um, I'm, I'm sorry that it, uh, <laughs> you've had to witness me hiding under a duvet. So there was some trauma at the beginning, <laughs> and and for putting up me with a, me as a guy, sort of yes, I'm a I'm a husband and a father of a of a young daughter, and obviously the priority for me is that she gets equal access to everything as she goes through the years, and things are improving, but there's more. Uh, we can. I mean, even even if you think you're doing a lot of the right things, there's. I mean, I've learned a shed load, um, and, and just essentially the way we communicate stuff is the core one there. So, yeah, thanks all so much for your time this morning. It's been and th-
1: and, amazing. And thanks for hosting the conversation, James. It's a brave man that takes three women on the <laughs> podcast to have a conversation with him. So we're 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 very grateful that that you've been using your platform to support us here and and the races being
0: included themselves yeah thanks it'll be really interesting to see the feedback we get and the questions we get asked we're not we'll try not to send too many more of them to you Sophie because I can only imagine the overwhelming (laughs) level of cons you're having to deal with um but our door is open ask us um you know the info account comes to Nikki and myself um and obviously Sarah on our coaching team is is here to support too thank you Sarah and Sophie, we look forward to seeing you on Saturday morning for the for the 100. Friday night, the kids are doing the mile.
1: Oh, there brilliant. You're, 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 you're going to meet the crew on Friday night, the whole of them. But oh, well, I think the 18-month-old might get carried.
2: <laughs> yeah, the South South One is by far the best race of the year, and it's the race that James gets the most animated at. I do find
0: it pretty exciting. Kids just, like, hammering it for a mile is just the best thing ever. <laughs> It's remember
2: so much the fun. Kid, remember the year we had a kid that Drew struggled to keep up with? He was doing the pace setting for it. This kid was so fast.
0: Nicky, you'll upset him, OK? <laughs> We've had this before. <laughs> Cut that bit. <laughs> right, everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, Bye, see James. most of you this weekend. Big love to you all.
1: Thanks, James.